If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. This week is a solo episode, so we are going to be talking about using student-centered stations in your science classroom. So when I started teaching, I ran into, well, I had in my head this model of teaching that was, you know, very teacher-driven. The teachers were at the front of the room. The teacher was guiding the discussion. They were leading the activity. They were doing the lecture. They were doing the notes. And honestly, I, I hated it, but I also didn't have any other, I guess, model or, or way of thinking about how to, to run a classroom because that was my experience for most of my, like, K through 12 and and even into many college courses. Definitely not all. I had some amazing college courses that used different strategies. But anyway, when I was thinking about, you know, what it was like to be in middle school, that's what came to mind. And when I tried emulating those strategies, that I just ran into so much trouble. You know, my students, like thinking back, I, I remember those horrible feelings of, you know, just like the apathy and the the disengagement, you know, seeing feeling like I was boring my students, seeing their bored expressions, seeing the heads droop on the table or, you know, sneaking I don't know, cell phones or just other work or, or whispering to friends or, you know, sometimes it, it turned into outright disruptions and chatter and calling out and all of those things. And it was just so, it was frustrating, but it was so exhausting teaching in that way. It was, ex- even when I used my best classroom management strategies, it was exhausting, you know, waiting for for the quiet, getting the students' attention back. It, I, I feel like you you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So I knew I couldn't keep doing that. It was draining me. But I also, I didn't have that new model. And at one point, I went to an NSTA conference and I attended this session on stations. And it like blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I am going to use these. And then I never have to talk to my students at the front of the classroom again. And obviously that's not totally true. There is a time and a place for a teacher-led um, review or discussion or clarification. Um, you know, there's there's a time and place for it for sure. But I could mim- minimize my time up there. 
And what I found in my classroom was because I was not demanding their attention, you know, at the front of the room so often, they gave it to me when I needed it. I could say, hey guys, I need your attention for the next 15 minutes and then we're going to break out into our groups or whatever we were doing. And they were willing to, you know, it wasn't so um, so difficult to get that attention and it wasn't so difficult to keep that attention for that short period of time. And I found my day-to-day experience in the classroom became so much more enjoyable, so much easier. I didn't feel like I was like rowing upstream or fighting against the tide or like battling for their attention and their interest and their um, engagement. It was, it was just easier. There was flow. So today in this podcast, I want to share some of the strategies that I used to um, kind of to achieve that, to get out from that teacher-centered at the front of the room role. And, um, and, and the primary way that I found to do that was to use these stations. So when I talk about stations, I feel like I eventually became the station queen. And at my school, people were like, oh, yeah, she's doing stations. And the students would be like, oh, we're doing stations again. That said, stations didn't look exactly like I feel like the real word stations means. So I often consider, whether my students were rotating or not, I typically thought of it as station work. They were broken into small groups and they were doing work. Sometimes they might be independently doing work, um, but a lot of times it was collaborative tasks broken into groups. Now, sometimes it was a rotation where students were moving from table to table, and other times everybody at every table had the exact same task, um, but and we'll talk about some differences that there may have been, but um, but there was not any actual rotating. Uh, so it was more just like group work at these tables that I had in the back of the classroom. So let's talk about the structure first, and then I'll share with you some of the different types of activities that I found worked really well for this type of um, learning. So like I said, I always had... I, my students worked in these groups. So typically we began class with our bell ringer, our warm-up, whatever, I had the privilege of having, you know, some space in the front of the room where I had some desks and flexible seating and all of that. And that was more of our, you know, teacher-led front of the room kind of area. And then I had tables in the back. And we always moved to the tables in the back for stations. Obviously, if you don't have that, you know, your students might be at tables. But I would still recommend having some sort of, like, breaking point where students move to different tables to start to signify this is the start of our station work. Because work at stations is different than the work that your students are doing at the with you at the front of the room. It is not teacher guided. And so there is a level of student independence and there is a message that you're sending to your students that you are the ones in charge of your work right now. It is your responsibility to get it done in the allotted time frame. We'll talk about timing in a second. And I am not... I'm here, you know, obviously I'm here for support. I'm here to help you if you get stuck. I'm here to, you know, keep everybody on track. But also, I'm not carrying the weight of this work. You are. And so I think having that actual breaking point where, like, students are moving to the stations or moving to a different table to to begin the station work is kind of like a nice um, just mental moment to, to, to reset their brains to this is the next step. This is what's coming next. So at each station, I had the the task, whatever it is. So let's imagine every station is doing the same thing. Honestly, this works for every station doing different things. 
Now, before we broke out and moved to the stations, I typically did like a quick overview of like, this is what you're doing at your station. My goal was to keep it under, you know, under five minutes and just give them a, a, a snapshot. I wasn't going in, in depth into all of the instructions. I wasn't um, answering, answering a bazillion questions about it. I was just kind of giving them an overview. I was asking them, what questions do you have right now? And then I was sending them back to the table to begin their work. And at the table, I had a complete set of instructions for the task. So I always had the instructions written out on a card at the station. Even if it was on their worksheet or or an organizer or something that they were given personally, I also had this station instructions card. While I did not at that time have the access to technology that we do today, I would suggest even now, um, now with all of the access to technology that we have, I would also record yourself reading or explaining the instructions, post it on your Google Classroom or whatever you use, and then students who may benefit from like hearing the instructions or listening to you explaining, they can actually watch that video and they can watch it as many times as they want to um, to work through the instructions as well. So big card, numbered list of steps for the activity or whatever it is. You might even have things like little dry erase markers and, and boxes so that students can check off as their group moves through each step. Uh, and then... Uh, Again, like a video or an audio of you explaining the instructions can also be really valuable and we have the technology for it today, so why not? So during the students moved to the back, they had their um, instructions, they had their organizer or whatever student organizer or worksheet that went along with the task. Uh, And then I meandered through the room and I, you know, stopped at each group, helped clarify anything that they might not be sure about, help them get started, so on and so forth. It was very quick. Now, at the beginning of the task, I also allotted a certain amount of time. So I always started with small intervals. Even if I knew this task is probably going to take 15 minutes, I would tell students, you have 10 minutes and then we will reevaluate. Or you have five minutes and then we will reevaluate. If it's going to take something like 45 minutes, if it's like a really big task and I knew they were doing that, I would probably break it up. So section one, you know, we're going to, should be done in 15 minutes. We are going to evaluate where we are in 15 minutes and maybe do a review, maybe talk about what we discovered, whatever it was. You could recognize or you could um, check answers in the middle of class, but you don't necessarily have to do like a full, you know, correction of like the worksheet or the analysis or whatever it was. Um, And... If I notice that students, like let's say the timer rang after 10 minutes and they're not done but they've been really working, I would say, you know, it looks like you're all still working. I'm going to add five minutes. Do you think we can get it done in five minutes? And I added five minutes to the timer. There is value in having the timer visible for everybody, so I I recommend that um, so that they can, they can see how much time they have left. And again, you are just meandering around the room, providing support, providing clarification, reminding students, oh, you only have three minutes left, see what you can get done. Um, And you can also always, if it's like one of those longer tasks and you want to really, like maybe there's some groups that are working and there's some that are not, I find stamps are phenomenal. Like, hey, I'm going to stamp your paper right here. It shows me you got section one done in the time that you were meant to get section one done. Um, And I just want to make sure I note that you did an awesome job, you know, staying on task. So you can, you know, do things like that to also um, 
to work with that. Now, let's say a group did not finish at all in the allotted time and you're like, it is time to move on or a student or whatever. Um, if you, if I believed that I, students had a fair amount of time and it was simply just they were not completing their work, uh, then they just didn't get it done. And it depended on, and the next steps depended on what kind of task it was. It could potentially be a just turn it in and you didn't get credit for the, the parts you did not complete. If it was an exploration style task, honestly, I would just give put the stamp to notate where they finished and then move on to the meaning making discussion, which I typically brought students back to the um, whole class setting to talk about what they had discovered during their exploration. And if students copied down the answers at that point, it was fine because they were in the learning phase. It was the exploration phase. And even if they didn't participate in the exploration, well, now they have the evidence that the entire class obtained and that's fine with me. Um, it's like a formative thing, like, oh, well. Uh, if it was something that I'm like, I really want them to actually have the experience of doing this or they really do need to complete it on their own, I often had some sort of time allotted during class where students you know, are working on maybe a text reading to reinforce what they had learned or there was um, like an extension project and during those times, any students could like go back to previous stations or activities that they had not finished and complete them there. So it really depends on the task, you know, how you manage students who didn't finish. But I would never let just like one student or one group necessarily hold up the class. Um, and I would just try to consider, is this something they really need to do themselves? Or can we just, they, they can take their neighbor's observations and we can move forward? Um, or is it, if they do need to do it themselves, like when can they make up this work at another time? Um, now, so, okay, so that's timing. That's kind of the structure. Now, one of the things that I also found really useful with using this type of group work is you could really make modifications without it being super noticeable. Um, so you can modify the task at certain in certain groups. And this is that's one of those things I learned at the NSTA conference um, when I first learned about stations. This teacher had you know, folders for each station and or for each group. And like each group was a different color and they had rotations and things like that. But they um, just just put the modified activity in a certain color or in, in the whatever group it was assigned to. And, and no one ever knew because it or it wasn't terribly obvious because it was basically the same task. It was just the modified version. They were working on it with their modified with their group, um, all all the modified versions, all the students together, and it was a way to scaffold a task. So you could very easily do that with this type of task. Whether your students are rotating from station to station, you could just easily swap out the instructions for you know an advanced group or for a group that needs more support if they're rotating or at each station that you place it at, you know when everybody's doing the same thing, you've just leveled your groups for the t that task. And I'm not saying every single station should be a homogeneous grouping, but that is one um, option for scaffolding and for extending student learning when, um, when it makes sense with your activity. One other type of, okay, so let's actually talk about what students do at these stations. Honestly, you can make any task um, a, you can make any task a station or like this small group work. Uh, and that's like the beauty of it. So you could break your students up into small groups and have them, let's kind of go through the five E's, I guess, because that's a way to think about it. So your engage phase, so working with your phenomena. 
You could break your students up into different table groups. You could provide all students with your anchor phenomenon, you know, whatever way it's being presented, whatever way they're engaging with it, whether it's an article, a video, photos, sets of statistics and data. Um, you could provide all of the that information at each group and your students are working through making their observations of it and developing their questions. And then you could bring students back together after that station's activity as a whole group and talk about what are the things that we notice as a class, what are the questions that we ask, and you can create your then classroom driving question board. Another way you can engage your students with the phenomena and with stations is having, um, again, let's say you have a video, some photos, and some statistics, and they all relate to this one phenomenon that happened. Maybe students rotate through one station is the video, one station is the photographs, and one station is the statistics, and they are again doing that notice and wonder, making their observations, developing their questions, and you know, maybe beginning their in to develop their investigation plan, uh, where they are mapping out what questions should they answer first, so on and so forth, if you want to do that at a station. But that could be another way that you are um, moving students through and incorporating a little movement in your stations and engaging them with a phenomenon. Um, and again, you could then bring your class back together and participate in a dry, you know, your driving question board, developing the class list of questions and identifying what is going to come next. What do we need to know first with our anchor phenomenon to begin this, begin this journey into understanding it? Um, so that's one thing. So that's an, an, an idea for engage. What would be an idea for explore? So explorations, I think stations are perfect for explorations because explorations really do need to be um, in a small group setting. Ideally, your students are working with each other because they're bouncing ideas off of each other. They're supporting each other in their thinking. They're talking about what they're noticing and what they're um, drawing conclusions about. So they're doing that auditory processing. They are doing... Um, you know, the, the critical thinking at the station, they're beginning to make meaning at that time. So these types of stations are perfect for that. And this is um, a situation where I would probably have, unless, okay, so if I had two explorations that worked toward the same objective, or if I had two or three explorations that worked to different objectives, but the sequencing didn't matter, then I would Okay, so then I might have each activity, each station doing a different activity. For example, if I have an exploration on the factors that affect climate, I might have each station doing an investigation into a factor. And I honestly, I didn't do it this way, but I'm just using this as an example. Factors that affect climate there are not linear like it doesn't the sequence does not really matter we could talk about the rain shadow effect and we could talk about you know mountains before we talk about latitude or after we talk about latitude it doesn't really really matter when it comes down to it yes they're all interconnected but one thing does not have to come before the first the other so in terms of stations it's perfect because there's no it doesn't matter where you begin right so you could theoretically have your students doing different explorations and then rotating through after maybe 20, 25 minutes. They're, they're working through the exploration. They are beginning the meaning-making process. They are rotating through each stage. And then after students have worked through these different stations, maybe it takes two or three days to work through each station even, you're bringing them back together. And I would, of course, have some formative assessments in there and, and some 
reflection time for students each day, but then you're bringing them back together and you're talking about what were some of those factors that could be affecting our climate of you know this region, the Mojave Desert. What did you see at your explorations? What did you see in your stations? Let's talk about those observations. And now let's figure out how it, it explains why the Mojave Desert is so hot. So you might have different activities going on at different stations. Alternatively, you might have all of your students at their individual tables doing the same exploration and then going through that same process, but you're tackling one climate factor at a time. So instead of taking two to three days maybe to go through each different, you know, two or three different climate factors, you are doing one climate factor, doing the meaning making, then moving on to another climate factor, then doing the meaning making, so on and so forth. You can order it however you want. But explorations are wonderful for this process of, or I'm sorry, stations are wonderful for the process involved in explorations because they give students that small group environment to support each other, to learn together, to begin meaning making in a very low risk, safe, you know, begin discussing, begin sharing their ideas in this low risk, safe environment before coming back toward like a whole group, um, a whole group discussion about the science ideas. So that's exploration. So engage, we can, or I'm sorry, explain. <laughs> we can do explain type stations as well. And one thing that can be nice is if you have a station, let's say you are rotating, having three exploration stations at once might be a lot for you and might be a lot for your students because exploration is a very difficult or challenging process and your students might need more of your support. So instead of having three exploration stations, you might have one exploration station and two explain style stations. So in an explain style station, your students are making meaning. So you've typically, I would say these are like explain part two. And I've talked about the 5e model and how in previous episodes, I'll link those um, and some blog posts. But I've talked about, I think about explain in this two part level um, or two part like sequence. Like the first part of explain is students are engaging in discussion and they are sharing their ideas and they're drawing conclusions and the teacher is there to draw out those ideas, help them make the connections, um, add some vocabulary words, things like that. And then I think there's a second part of explain where students are kind of reinforcing those ideas and clarifying those understandings through more traditional methods like reading textbooks or reading articles or watching videos or um, participating in vocabulary exercises or vocabulary um, like work. So that second part of explain, the videos and, you know, obtaining information from videos, obtaining information from texts, um, doing some vocabulary, notebooking, organizing, maybe drawing a model to explain what they what happened in their notebooks using the information provided. Like those explain type of tasks can be really good um, stations because students can often do those things independ- more independently than an exploration. Like they might not need your help as much. So those can be really good activities to intersperse in with your explorations. So if you're wondering, well, how can I have an explain station while my students are doing explore? Like how can one group do explain and one is doing explore and not vice versa? So that's where I would have students doing an explain style. Okay, example again. We have climate factors. We previously explored latitude and today we are looking at um, 
atmospheric circulation. And so my exploration station is about atmospheric, um, atmospheric circulation, but I might have an explained style station that is going back and reviewing latitude and is maybe um, doing some like modeling or is doing some reading a text or watching a video about it and answering some questions and taking some notes. Um, or maybe working through a PowerPoint or something, even if you have something like that. So there's the explain group is working on the stuff from the previous day. So it doesn't matter the order. And the explore group station is working on like the current material. And so when we flip, it, you know, when they rotate, it doesn't matter which came first. So that's um, a way you can sprinkle in those explain style stations. And again, it's a lot more engaging than students just doing that work on their own. It's also a lot more engaging than like you showing a video at the front and just grilling them or asking questions. Um, and it, it takes it, it it takes away from you being the leader of the activity. And instead, students have their instructions and they know what to do and they move forward. And you are there just monitoring, keeping them on track, providing support, so on and so forth. Um, Elaborate. So again, elaborate's the same kind of thing. Um, you can bring in those types of extension activities. Maybe it's a current events article. Maybe it is an opportunity to explore, like learn about a new phenomenon and make connections and take what they have learned and apply it. So you could use that station as like a formative assessment uh, and, and see what your students have learned as they apply what they are learning to the um, to a new phenomenon. Uh, and then like evaluate, I mean, you could do a formative assessment, there we go, with evaluate. I probably don't typically do stations with like my summative evaluations, although sometimes I do do projects and group work for summative evaluations. But um, so that's kind of an overview of the different types of activities you can do at stations. One more strategy I want to share is the idea of incorporating a small group instruction station to your rotations. So... What I found was there were some tasks that really I really did need to lead. They really needed a lot of close guidance because this was a skill they had not developed. And if I was just like, go graph this data and create, you know, and, and, and analyze this with slope and I don't know, whatever, they would have been like, what? And I would have been really frustrated trying to manage that at, you know, five different groups. So what I found is I broke, what I, I found really helpful is breaking my students into these stations and really, you know, focusing on work the students could do independently and then using one station to be this like small group instruction. And you can even think this like elementary style activity um, where you are sitting at like the kidney shaped desk with your students and you are guiding them through an activity. You're leading an activity. And honestly, that small group instruction could be anything. So it could be, you know, your students are learning to analyze um, a difficult set of data and you are walking them through graphing it and interpreting it and, um, and drawing the conclusions from it and making the connections about it and understanding what it's showing, anything like that. It could be, you know, your students are just starting to develop models and so you are working together to develop a model of a new phenomenon and apply what they had learned and talking about, you know, these are the different criteria we want to look for in our model and these are the things we want to include. Um, and let's talk about how we're going to do that. And so you're guiding, you're really just guiding them through that. And it is teacher-led, but it's really the focus is developing the skill with students so that they can um, achieve, you know, the, the objective of that learning. So um, 
and if you could even do it, uh, it could even just be simple, like a formative assessment type of station where you are playing a little game or doing some vocabulary review or um, reading an article together and talking about it or, I mean, literally whatever. But it's it's a time where you can work in with a small group of students while your other students are doing their independent kind of stations. And, um, and it, it worked really well for those activities where I'm like, I really need to lead this because my students are maybe not ready to just dive in on their own. But I also didn't want to just get into that battle of like leading the entire class and trying to keep all of their attention and keep everybody on the same page and at the same pace. I mean, keeping five students on the same pace and on moving forward and and paying attention is is a whole lot easier and less stressful than trying to keep 25, right? So it was a way to achieve, like I need to lead this activity in a way that was very um, like more flow. I don't know, It it was easier. There was a lot more flow and ease with it. So that can be really effective and really helpful and the fact that your other students are engaged in these their their independent stations um, and you're using the same tools with the timers and the check-ins and the stamps and all of that the instructions at the station all of that can really just make it really easy to um to to carry that out and keep your students doing what they need to do so that is the solution that I found worked really well for me with beginning to shift ownership to my students and take some of the weight off myself as the teacher. Um, And that is actually what I am currently working on. Um, As you know, I'm going back to the classroom this fall. The curriculum that the school has adopted, it has, you know, like everything, it's pros and cons. Um, And I'm not loving that a lot of it is very teacher directed. There's a lot of of just teacher led things. So what I'm working on right now this summer as I'm kind of digging into that, is looking at how I can shift these lessons and shift like the resources in the curriculum to incorporate more of this stations approach um, into you know the curriculum that's being provided so that I can put more ownership on my students and again take that weight off my shoulders like this is their learning they need to step up And if I approach my classroom in a teacher-led way or in a teacher-led manner, I'm not giving them the space or the the impetus to do that. I'm, if anything, kind of blocking their ability to do that or making it more difficult to do it. And of course, why are they going to, you know, why not just coast through with the teacher leading it? So if I want to change that experience and change that, you know, narrative in their brain about what learning is, I definitely want to create a classroom where, um, they are the independent leaders and learners and um, and stations are one great strategy that I found that really starts to make that shift for them. So I hope this was helpful as you are thinking about your fall plans. Um, I'd be happy to uh, talk with you more about stations. Just reach out on Instagram and I will um, connect with you there. Have a great one and we'll catch you next week on Teaching Science in 3D. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. 
It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.